0: 79 of the mark and me podcast as always i'm your host mark and coming up on today's episode i'm going to be joined by a very close friend also a fellow podcaster who's responsible for podcasts such as Nerdfoo, which is one of the earliest podcasts i ever used to listen to and also the funko funcast which i won't lie i don't get much time to listen to podcasts i get that question a lot well, who, who do you listen to What other podcast do you listen to As an editor of Mark and Me and The Host, and also when I used to edit Skip the End, I had very little spare time, but I always used to listen to the Funko Funcast and Honestly Nerdfoo, both awesome, awesome podcasts, and also I do listen to The Office Ladies. That's one that (laughs) will, when I'm driving back home in the week, that's the one I always listen to. But today, I'm joined by Chris, and honestly, he's one of my best friends now. I love the guy, and I can't wait to share the interview with him coming up very, very soon. What I normally do, and you know the score by now, is I touch base and talk about the last guest. So on episode 78, I was joined by the singer and songwriter Dave Hawes. Now, this guy is a legend. The response was absolutely massive. Thanks again to Dave Hawes for sharing the actual interview. I think that really helped with the numbers. And I couldn't believe it. We had a number one. So there I am for two years, releasing guests like Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mikkelsen and Kevin Smith. Got top ten, never had a number one. The last two episodes I've had on Mark and Me both hit number one, which is unbelievable. So thanks to everyone that took the time to listen, and for everyone that took the time to download and leave comments on iTunes, and all the stuff that you do, it never goes unnoticed, and I really appreciate it. But let's get into today's episode. So as I said at the start, I'm joined by a very close friend, Chris Sully. He's a great guy, and the interview's fantastic from start to finish. So let's get to it. Here's me and Chris. So Chris, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm
1: I'm truly honored. Given your uh, catalog of guests so far, I feel like the uh, low man on the totem pole. But but I am truly honored.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. So what I want to do is take it right back to the start when you're just a little kid, and when you were growing up. And I want to know what was the sort of things that interested you. Were there certain movies you loved, or you know, what was what the things that got you into the pop culture that you are now today?
1: Yeah, it started with my dad. Uh, he was always a big movie fan. So from first memories. Uh, When we got our first VCR as a kid, that was a big deal, and we would go to the local video store and rent an armful of movies for the weekend. So I grew up on Back to the Future and Ghostbusters and Gremlins and all the great 80s films, Star Wars, of course, and uh, it just really cemented my love for pop culture right from the get-go. I became a collector in Star Wars action figures and then eventually moved around in pop culture, got into baseball cards and things like that. But my childhood and All the way through high school was movies. I worked at video stores for six years, and I would just grab an armful in high school on the weekend and stay up all night and watch anything and everything I could, and my tastes run the gamut. I love everything you can imagine, Uh, and, and I've carried that to today where I get to live pop culture yet again.
0: So like you said, you were working in a video store. Were you able to take most of the cassettes home after you worked your shift? Is that how it works? Because that's what my mate did when he was growing up. We always used to go around to his house and watch all these 18s and really gory films like Alien when we were only 12.
1: Oh yeah, I used to, when I would work my shift, as I would walk the floor and I saw something that I might want to watch, I'd create my own little stack. And so on a Friday night, I would grab eight films, take them home and stay up all night watching them right in a row. And it didn't matter. It could be a big budget JFk or something like that or it could be a low budget you know critters three and I would watch them all and uh, and during my time at, at the video stores in high school we actually had this thing uh, but there was a um, kind of a meetup between all the different stores that they called um, video Olympics so it was also studying to memorize directors and actors and you know when your films were made and what the box art looked like and everything you could fathom so that we could go compete in these uh, video Olympics. And I never won, but I had a lot of fun participating in it, and it gave me yet another love, another level of love for film.
0: You mentioned some of my favourite 80s films then, just when you described when you were growing up with the films you watched with your dad, but what were the ones that absolutely stood out for you? I know you're a big fan of Indiana Jones, aren't you?
1: Oh, most definitely. Anything with Harrison Ford in that time, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Uh, definitely Back to the Future, definitely Ghostbusters, Goonies... Um, those to this day are, are the things I'm most passionate about because they'll be they'll be part of me until the day I die. Those those are my favorites.
0: So when you're working in the video shop, obviously that's such a nostalgic thing now. Even when I'm talking to you know people I work with that are a lot younger, they don't understand the concept because we've got Netflix and Amazon and all these different services. But were you hoping that you could do that forever, or did you have your sights on hopefully securing another job within the industry?
1: You know, I always saw it as a job and not a career. Um, I went on to, to college and got a business degree, thinking I want to become an adult and go out <laughs> into the working world and, and make a good living. And and I quickly realized how much I missed that. And to this day, uh, my coworkers and I have many conversations about our love for the old video store days and how, on a Friday night, you would go and wait. You'd put your name on a list. You'd have popcorn. You'd walk around the video store and converse with other fans, and read box art and learn things. You know, whereas now you can do all that on the web, but that personal element, that interaction, that uh, uh, it just—it's missing. It's gone, and it's unfortunate. I really think there will be a time where something like video stores come back around. I know there's some that are still holding on. Like we have Scarecrow Video here in Seattle, uh, where you can still rent VHS tapes.
0: That's awesome. I I
1: think it's because people want that interaction.
0: The problem is, as well, now movies are so disposable. So if you can go on Netflix and say, What's this? Start watching it after 10 minutes, you'll just stop it.
1: I've never subscribed to that. Like, if I sit down and I invest a time in, in watching 15, 20 minutes or something, I'm usually going to see it through to the end. But maybe that comes from the way I, I watch films on VHS as a kid.
0: And that's what—that's why I miss these video shots, because you would consistently, you, you spent 2 or $3, you'd get the video, and you'd make sure you watch it all. And you'd probably watch it again in the morning to get your money's worth. But you used to discover a lot more gems back then, because I'd go there, try and get the big release, like Robocop. It was out of stock. Someone had already got it, so I'd look around the store and just pick something else. Because I'm there, and I missed that. I think I think it, it's just too disposable now. It's a shame.
1: Yeah, I mean, anything you have to work for a little, you feel like you you've earned something. And while that may not seem like work or earning something, you looking back, it really was. We had people that would come in on a Friday and put their name on a list and wait three hours for the chance to get that new movie that they really wanted to see, and they, and they didn't mind doing it. it. It was a it was a family outing for them.
0: To any of the young listeners right now, they're probably thinking, all right, granddad, calm down, but I do miss it. I genuinely sit here right now, and I'm just picturing myself on a Friday going there with five quid, popcorn, movie. That was my weekend. It was awesome. Get two or three films, see them through. I miss it, and like you said, I I do hope it comes back because, you know, as much as Netflix's useful and you get all these great things and you haven't got this physical media, I miss it. I really do. Yeah,
1: and that level of nostalgia is... um it's huge even the kids now they understand what the vhs tapes were and and i get i think they get the gist of it but like when working at funko and we have cool products like uh those t-shirts that we made for robocop and blood sport that are in the vhs packaging yeah or, uh, when i go to the disney store and i saw a, a cool uh, notebook that was done in the design of an old clamshell vhs for little mermaid i just posted a picture of it and people went nuts they would yeah. love that nostalgia
0: it is awesome it's like with music isn't it as much as spotify is brilliant i haven't got to get all my cds out everyone's buying records again now and it's gonna it's gonna happen we're gonna get videos again and people are buying tapes people love nostalgia
1: oh for sure cassette tapes are one of my you know small passions anytime i can get a cassette tape of a cool soundtrack now for something i grab it up like ready player one i have that one and i love it
0: that's awesome that's really cool So you were talking then about when you went to studying, you wanted to become an adult, and you did obviously business and a proper degree and did all this, but you're now working in a job within Funko. Before you started Funko, what were you doing before you got that job?
1: You know, for for years, I still was definitely a movie fan and went uh, on the weekends, so I never lost that passion. But when I was in the the quote-unquote working world, uh, I, I felt like I was always missing part of me. You know, talk about these things with friends at work but I wanted to make it a full time thing and a buddy of mine in 2012 hit me up and we knew each other fairly well and he's like hey I want to go to SDCC San Diego Comic Con and I said well I always thought that was industry can we actually go he's like yeah I was was really busy at the time I was like dude if you can secure tickets if you can figure out how we do this I am in wholeheartedly because I've seen this on TV I have an idea what it is I want to go and he made it happen to his credit this is my buddy Steve uh, so we packed up we went we did not know what was going to happen we didn't know what was going to be like and we instantly from the time we got off the plane in san diego were surrounded by all these things we love pop culture everywhere the actors the we found out about panels we, i mean honestly this is the first con i had gone to i never went to a smaller one and uh i just fell in love i was like this is my home these are my people I totally get this. I want to live. I want to work in this. And so when he and I left there, actually in line while we were there, you know, lines are part of that whole thing. We were discussing, what could we do? And a friend of ours that we made in line said, well, you two are pretty funny together. Y'all should do a podcast. Boom. Two months later, we launched uh, the NerdFoo podcast and the NerdFoo website, and uh, we lived that life for years. We would go to cons all over Texas, California. We made it to Uh, up here to Seattle area to go to, Emerald City Comic Con, we went to New Orleans, any con we could go to and we could afford and budget for, we went to, we met people, we took photos, we absolutely loved it. Uh, And the more we could do, the more we did, and that eventually led to opportunities uh, with my current job, but I did that for a good three, three and a half years, just focused on it.
0: And that was you and one of your best friends, and then obviously you got this podcast, and your podcast was an excuse just to talk about all the great things that you were experiencing.
1: Yeah, the the whole goal from day one, I mean, I I took a business look at it and I said, we have to be able to make some money in order for this to to sustain and to live. What could we do? Well, we're already sharing photos and links on Facebook and Twitter between us and other people would sometimes jump in the conversation. Let's just do that same thing. Let's take our passion. We're not going to fake anything that we're not into. We're going to share the things we were sharing anyway, but in a public format with the branding of Nerd foo which I, I took the old Kung Fu logo from video games from 80s NES and made that into two guys instead of one, and that was us. That was our persona, and we stuck with that. And uh, we built a fan base pretty quickly. We were very lucky uh, that we got up to over 50,000 fans on Facebook in no time flat, and uh, that helped. So then when we started going to cons, people were like, "Hey, we want to meet you guys, or we we want to get a Nerd foo shirt, or you know, just all these opportunities came up because of it." Uh, and even though we never got a ton of listens on our podcast, we told ourselves from day one, we love doing this, we're going to keep doing it, and money is not going to play into whether or not we keep doing it or not. It'll just be a nice bonus if it happens.
0: And that's exactly what happened with Skip the End. Now we're coming up to about five years, and you have to remember, five years ago, podcasts weren't very well established. People weren't talking about films on podcasts. It's only been the last few years it's really taken off, but we never did it for the money. We never make money. We, we never will make money, I doubt. It's it's all about doing it because we love it.
1: And that passion is there. I mean, I listen to you guys for sure. I absolutely love the podcast. It was one of, one of our listeners of my other podcast for Funko that told me about Skip to the Inn, and I was in from day one. You guys do a great job.
0: So then, obviously, you were doing this podcast. You were going out, but in the background, you had a job that was financing everything. But when was it that it became an option for you to then hopefully secure a job that meant you could do this life all day, every day.
1: Yeah, I was lucky enough that i kind of made a career shift in my nine to five during that time and used some of the things that I had learned uh, from, i had created another business before, Nerdfoo and Nerdfoo. I leveraged that into a social media job for my nine to five. So that gave me a a true resume. Uh, You know, people look at, they they want to see the nine to five, not just the passion projects. Yeah. Uh, So I I had a social media uh, career for five years in a Fortune 100 company and uh, then left that And in the few months after, I made a list of companies that I wanted to go to work for. And Funko was number one. And so I sat by and watched every time they posted a job. I I met with the people I knew at the cons. Anytime I would see them that worked at Funko, you know, I'd already known them. But I wanted to make sure I kept that relationship alive. Because honestly, any job you get, it is tough to get your foot in the door without knowing someone.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: uh, Right at the end of of my time, I given myself a limit and said, by this date, if I don't have a a job secured at Funko or another company I love, I'm gonna I'm just gonna take something. And I didn't want to do that because that just hurts. You don't want to go to a job you don't want to do every day. And lo and behold, towards the very end of it on one of my last days and I was about to give up, they posted a new marketing position at Funko, and I immediately hit up a couple people I knew and said, Would you be willing to put my name in? And they were like, You kidding me? Would you be willing to come here? I was, it was right from the very beginning. It seemed like it was going to happen. I within a week had uh, flown out to Seattle, had an interview, had the job offer, and six months later, or six weeks later, had moved to Seattle and had my butt in the seat to work at Funko.
0: That's amazing, and you must have felt like you won the lottery.
1: Honestly, did I? I was when they made the offer. When I got the offer letter, I was absolutely just shook I, I couldn't believe that it happened and of course my wife had to be on board i was like are you willing to move across country she goes are you kidding me if i didn't let you go work for for funko do you imagine how our life would be
0: <laughs> yeah that wouldn't be the it best was definitely
1: a passion of mine I, I i wanted to be a part of it so much and it worked out
0: what, what was going to be so you, you got to be honest with me now what, what was your backup so if funko hadn't you know posted that job what was your kind of plan b
1: I, you know, honestly, I was just looking at all these jobs. Uh, I was on every day looking at different job sites and I would read all these social media positions. It was going to be something in social media marketing. I read these positions and every one of them was just like, I could do it, but do I want to? Am I, do I love this company? Can I speak for this company? I mean, that's, that's important. And uh, I didn't see one ever that I was like, okay, this is, this is a good plan B. Nope, there wasn't a one. They were all a distant, like, plan Z.
0: So then once the off letter came through, it felt like you won the lottery, your wife decided to move with you, you went to Seattle. Was there any point you were like, oh my god, this is scary, or were you just like, I can't wait to do this?
1: It was a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, honestly, packing up, selling a house you've been in for close to 20 years, and moving across country to a place where you know two people uh, is a little scary. But knowing what I was going to get to do, knowing the opportunity, knowing that how much I already knew about the company and the brand. And my wife and I had, for many months, talked about, or many years, talked about the fact that we wanted to venture out and do something different. We didn't want to spend our entire life in one spot. Uh, So this all, everything just aligned. And sure, there were some scary moments, driving across country 2,300 miles by myself with a car full of stuff and moving. Oh, we rented a home we had never seen. I had to do it all online, and so I drove across country just nervous. I'm like, I'm going to drive up. This house is going to be just a disaster. I just know it. <laughs> the hills have here. eyes,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: it's so scary. But pulled into the driveway, and thank God we got very lucky that we ended up in a place that we're still in today. So that's good. But yeah, there sure, there were some scary moments, but I, I think it was all outweighed by the fact that this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I could not pass up on.
0: And, and how long is it now you've been at Funko?
1: Uh, going on two and a half years now. Yeah, I started in, uh, on my birthday wow. in November of 2016. It just so happened it landed right on my birthday but I took it as a really good omen.
0: So can you remember now, back then, your first day and what it was like going into that office and thinking, it must, it must feel like going into Disneyland?
1: Oh, yeah, I took a photo as I just drove into the parking lot and the first signage that said Funko and it was like an older logo at the time I took that photo and tweeted it and I was like here I go you know I mean I had I had friends and fans from Nerd Food that were already on my side and were excited about the opportunity for me and so I was sharing my kind of journey during that time but it was actually we have a really good story that we've shared on the, the Funko Funcast before in that I started and before I even got there I tweeted something about getting coffee before day one of the new job and one of my coworkers, it was going to be my coworker at the time, tweeted and said, "Well, you won't see us today. You'll see why soon." I was like, "What is going on?" I was like, "Please tell me they didn't fold, and I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna go today one of a job that's not there." Uh, but I got there, and a pipe had broken over the weekend and flooded the entire marketing department. Jesus. Yeah, can you believe? I was like, "Oh, this is not a good omen." No. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, you know, it was a broken pipe. Some water got on some stuff. So, they had to set up a temporary uh, area for us, and we all shared one big table, like a little startup. And so, I got to know my coworkers really quickly because of it, because we weren't separated. We were right there next to each other, and it actually was the best scenario, I think, in getting to learn the culture of the company and some of my coworkers that I didn't know yet.
0: So, after watching the documentary recently on Funko, I obviously know they're a huge brand. I know how great the community is, but I didn't realize just how personal it was. It's like this huge global absolutely f- huge brand but it's just a couple of guys that started it that are friends that are still there now that's that's mind-blowing
1: it it really is it's one of those success stories that you you hear about or you see and you think dang that's right place right time but there's so much more to it and like you said the the backbone is is passion and is the fans and that's what that making fun documentary did a, an amazing job of uh, of showcasing
0: and what's it like now working there? Obviously, what's what's sort of the best parts? Is it the fact you get to meet all these fans when you go to the conventions and the events?
1: We get that question a lot, and I think the answer for each employee at Funko would be different. But for me, I've always had a passion for collecting, and I've had a passion for Funko since 2011, long before I went to work there. And for me, uh engagement with fans is priority one. I absolutely love interacting with people on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram on our channels. I love interacting with them on my personal channels. And I love going to the conventions to either do live podcasts, which we've done several of, or to interact with people who I've been talking with online forever and have never had a chance to speak with in person, or to even develop new fans. The people come by the booth who are hardcore Funko collectors, and I'm like, do you know about the podcast? Here's a sticker. Here's a button. Give us a listen. And they're almost always, the comments I see, they're shocked and they say, I thought this was going to be some stuffy corporate podcast, but you guys are fun. I really dig listening to it. I'm in now. So I really feel like there's a close relationship between everything that we do on a daily basis and those fans. It's not just customers. They're friends and fans.
0: And then you just touch base on your own podcast that you do with the company under the Funcast. So... Tell me a little bit more about that because you get to work with your co workers, but you also get to do a podcast with them, which must be a dream.
1: Yeah, doing the Nerd Foo podcast for, we had 200 episodes under our belt by that point. Uh, And going to Funko, my marketing manager at the time said, Hey, you're coming on board. Can you do a podcast with us? You want to do one. And I was like, Absolutely, that's a dream. Uh, Because I definitely have a passion for podcasting. I may not be the best at it, I may not have a huge audience. Boy, I love it. I love the format. I love listening to them. I love participating in them. And uh, when I came on board, I was like, the the thing that's going to be the trickiest here is I'm going to be podcasting with people I barely know, and it's not. I wouldn't say it was forced, but the there were some parameters there. You know, yeah. You, these are the people you need to have on. So there's the there's definitely a fear going in of will we will we meld? Will we have the will it come across to the fans as authentic? Do how do we? How do we do this? And I I spent my time driving across country, knowing that that was a potential, thinking, what do we call this thing? What would be included in this thing? How does it how do we do this? You know, I really spent a lot of time thinking about it. And uh, I am a I'm a consummate uh, note taker and a, a real fan of having structure. You know, I love conversations like this but when you're starting something, you have to provide the fans with some structure or else they don't know what they're going to hear every week. Yeah. So I, I really wanted that and had the outline in my head and I pitched it to the group and I was like, what do you guys think? And they gave me their honest feedback. We made some alterations, but the podcast we have today after a hundred plus episodes is very similar in structure to the early days. We've just slowly changed and adapted and added things and, and uh, I somehow, some way it came together. And luckily we have a really good uh, rapport, all of us together, and it works really well, and I, I honestly, I think every episode gets better than the last, and, and I hear that from a lot of fans online, and I, I hope it's authentic, sure seems like it is, and uh, I, I just love doing it.
0: It's quite tricky, isn't it, because when you're building a podcast, and you've got the structure, like you've heard Skip to the End, like you, we've got the feature, like a game show, the rewatch, the main review, all these different bits that Either work or don't work, and it takes a while to establish yourself and get that format in place. But the chemistry and the relationship with your that you have with your co-hosts, that is literally make or break. You you can't force it. So to know that you had these guys that you were pretty much forced to work with, to know that it just worked and it clicked, that really is that's absolute bliss. You know that's a, that is the dream because. With Ben and Gemma, I couldn't ask for two better people to be aside, So it's it's an absolute dream. So you must be very, very thankful that it worked.
1: Oh yeah, if it didn't, it would come across immediately, and no one would be listening. No, you, you have to. It has to be authentic, and and I'm very lucky. I was telling, I think I was talking about it before we started recording today, and the fact that people come up to me at the conventions. Again, I like to put myself out there. So even when everyone else is taking a break or off doing something else, I like to be right out on the ropes talking to fans and they'll come up and they'll chat with me for a little bit and they'll either say to my face or they'll tweet it when they walk away and be like that's the, that's the same guy we hear on the podcast like he's not faking it he's he's that same dude and that's, that's just who i am i just i love those conversations and and talking pop culture either if it's in the podcast format or on video or directly with a fan it, it doesn't matter to me i just love the conversation
0: it's easier, isn't it, to just be yourself all the time. Like, when I go on the podcast and when I'm away from the podcast, I'm still Mark. People are like, oh, my God, you're, you are as stupid as you sound. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, you do mis- no. you, you do mispronounce <laughs> stuff all the time. And I'm like, yeah, it's it, that is me because I, I, I haven't got the energy to try and be someone else for an hour and a half, two hours every other week. It's too tiring.
1: Yeah, and again, i I've said it so many times already, but authenticity is, is so important. And people will immediately hone in on that. If it's not real, I've said on on several podcast panels about starting your own podcast over the years, and that's one key thing we always hone in on. Whether or not I say it or someone else on the panel does, is if you're not authentic, it's not going to work.
0: No, and you, you you can't fake it. And people, it's scary, isn't it? Even though it's audio, people see straight through it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can and you can have you can have not so great content, not structure. The audio can be a little off. If that if that group is there, if that rapport comes together, if it, if it's true, people are going to listen. All those other things are important too, but that's the core. You have to have that first.
0: So obviously, everything so far has been really positive. We've been really upbeat. We've talked about how great and how lucky it is. But what's the bad points? What's the what's the most challenging parts of being in this job?
1: Uh for me, it's just time. I mean, honestly, we we are very very fast paced at yeah. Funko. Things happen quicker than anywhere else I've ever worked before, and I have more on my plate than anywhere else I've ever worked before. Uh, you know, there there are responsibilities every week that have to happen. In addition to the the nine to five in the desk, you know, we're making videos and podcasts and all that stuff. And then there's the cons, uh, and it takes time to fly across country and set up a booth and and work the con for the weekend. And all the all the online social stuff still has to happen. So. We really work two to three jobs at any given point between scheduling all that out, creating content, being a part of the conventions, planning for live podcasts. It's, uh, it's far more time than I had anticipated uh, when I moved across country, but I've, I've gotten used to it in a way, um, and I love it, and I wouldn't trade it for the world because, again, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. In two years, it may be very different, so for right now, I'm just living it
0: as a collector yourself you were a fan and you're very uh, fond of the product itself so it's not like you've got to go in there and learn it and be like oh my god what's Funko and what's these pops and all that you you're a fan you know that's that's the truth you're not offended by that are you you were a fan of Funko and now you're part of the family but when you were actually officially starting we worried that it might then taint the love for the product because it's Nine till five, it becomes your job. So, you know, as much as I love podcasts and if I did it twenty four hours a day, I might not like it anymore. Were you worried it might kind of tarnish it?
1: I don't know. I if I if I put that in my head and I allow myself to think that, it kinda makes it possible and real. But if I don't think that and I think this is this is the opportunity I've been wanting and it's gonna be good no matter what uh, you know, you kind of will it to be. And that's exactly the the philosophy I took, no matter what anybody said. I'm like, nope, I, I know where I'm going. I know what's going to happen. I, it's going to be positive. It's going to be good. And, and it has been. Uh, just, just this past week, we were in a meeting and we were looking at future products that might come out. And I can't give you any spoilers before you ask. <laughs> um, we were looking at future product and I was getting very excited about a couple of the licenses that they were talking about. And my coworker, Cameron, was like, dude, he was laughing so hard. He said, you still, after two and a half years, get really stoked about this stuff where other people have become jaded, you still get so excited because it's just so good to see. And it's true. I was I'm like a kid in a candy store whenever we start talking about what's coming next or we do reveals. I absolutely love every bit of it.
0: And does it get difficult? I I can imagine you wanting to have to like work off a tab because you must get, you know, to see all these amazing products. How do you not buy everything?
1: <laughs> yeah, I've had to become very selective. Uh, when we moved here, we, we I filled up any area I had for pops in no time flat, and for Funko products, not just pops. And, um, yeah, I've been more selective on what I get, but I definitely have access to things now where I'm like, it doesn't matter if I have space or not, there's a chance. I'm I'm taking it. I'm going to get this. I'm going to find a home for it uh, because I can't pass up on it. There's just so many cool things we make. And uh, that that's something I learned early on when it comes to collecting. You don't wait to pull the trigger.
2: because you'll always
1: regret it if there's something you want you get it you find a way you make it happen
0: and some people that have tuned in today to listen to this interview will be huge funko collectors what's some of your absolute prize possessions that you know they would be salvating over right now that the absolute treasure uh
1: i've answered this question so many times and and there's always a few that, that hit the top of the list that won't ever change uh one is my uh this SDCC exclusive, flocked Sully pop,
0: yeah. limited to four hundred
1: and eighty pieces. I mean, it's in the name of the thing, right? With Sully, I embrace it. Yeah. Um, I really love my headless Ned Stark, which was also an SDCC exclusive that I I grabbed when I was in line for like forty bucks, and it's now worth you know a nice used car. Uh, and I love I love all the Freddy uh, Funko products. For many people who are uh, not familiar with. Funko, we have a big party every year called Fun Days. And one of the things that goes to the fans and the audience are these Freddy mashup pops, where it's like Freddy as Skeletor, or Freddy as Jamie Lannister, or Freddy as Robin, or Batman. And they're usually very limited. And I started getting those as a fan. Some of them are limited to like 48 pieces and just loved them. It's such a cool, unique thing that I've never really seen any other company do in quite a fashion. You know, like you don't remember seeing uh Jeffrey as Terminator at Toys R Us. It just wasn't a thing. At least not that I'm aware of. If it was so out of anyway, it, yeah. I really dig those and those are some of my favorites in my collection.
0: Is it like a nice little retirement fund as well? <laughs> that one day you could just sell a lot and buy another house. <laughs>
1: I mean that's the dream, right? <laughs> you hear these stories of people that have these collectibles and sell them for obscene amounts of money, but but I I have to pretend that one day they don't have the value they have now, just in case. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not counting on it. No. Uh, if that happens, I still love what I have. I still love these cool collectibles of my favorite pop culture things that I can surround myself in. Uh, does the value play into it a little? Sure. That's that's part of what attracted to me uh, attracted me to it in the very beginning. Uh, but it's gone far past that
0: now. And what's the future looking like, do you think? Because obviously with all these new licenses, it was only a couple of weeks ago I saw the announcement for Jaws, and I was like, I never thought there'd be the day that I got a Funko Pop of Jaws. I was like, this is the dream. This is, for me, I, you know, I thought Kevin Smith was one, and I was like, wow, Halloween. And then when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, you know, is there something really exciting in the works that you can't wait to see?
1: Oh, there's always something exciting in the works. Like I like I mentioned before, watching all those uh, movies as a kid, I had yeah. so many fandoms across the board, and that just continues to grow to this day. I love sci-fi. I love westerns. I love comedies. I love television shows, comic books, you know, so many things. So my laundry list of things I want to see made is very long, much yeah. like our fans. I mean, we have, <laughs> Funko has over 1,100 licenses that are active right now, more than anybody else out there, for sure, and there's still every week we hear from dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of fans, the many, many products they want Funko to make into pop form or whatever uh, that we have not done. So the sky's the limit. I mean, there's so many things that we could do. We we just announced in January uh, that we're making office pops. Yeah,
0: Finally. that's that's amazing. Have
1: been asking for years, and they're getting them. It's happening. It's coming soon. So how many other things are there like that that we could still uh you know make for the fans? Like personally, I would love to see Greatest American Hero as a pop. Maybe one day.
0: You know, it'll happen.
1: I hope I don't know anything.
0: That's not a spoiler. Well, what, what, what blows my mind the most is when I think, oh, Funko have done absolutely everything. Then, like you said, you get The Office, or you get Parks and Rec, and you get all this, and Lost, and all this. And I'm like, there's literally an endless list they can just keep on bringing out. And I, I sometimes think there can't be anything else now. I've got everything I want. And then, oh, more WWE wrestlers, or more Kevin Smith, like, different versions. It's it's not good to be on the receiving end when you're try, trying to buy them all. <laughs> Oh, that's so me. much good stuff There was a point when
1: when was probably around 2012 2013 i would literally pre-order every figure that was announced and i'm like i'm just going to keep doing this i'm just going to stick with it <laughs> that only can hold for so long and we put them out at such a rapid pace now that there's just no way uh you just you have to pick up the things that you're really passionate about that you're you're in love with or the exclusives that you can't live without and uh luckily i have space I know some fans that live in like New York, and I don't know how they do it. They have to be very, very selective of the ones they get. But I really think with the the back catalog of things that have not been made and the speed at which new content is put out by Marvel and DC and Rick and Morty and all these different companies making movies and television and music, there's no way Funko ever catches up. No. It's always going to be something that they could still make.
0: What I really like as well, and I've only been working with you for around 18 months, maybe two years, but what I've seen a big change of is that you're not just doing Funko Pops. You've got all these different stuff now. You've got these vinyl figures, you've got t shirts, you've got backpacks, you've got all this merch. And for me, it's like it, it, each month you seem to take this next step up. You know, it's not just a Stranger Things Funko Pop now. You can get a Stranger Things backpack, which is awesome, you know, absolutely awesome. Then you can get a cap, you can get a t shirt. It, it's pretty awesome, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's sky's the limit. I I realized a couple years ago at New York Comic Con, I was in the middle of the floor doing something, and it really dawned on me that this entire, everything in the conventions, everything in collectibles, uh, is about licensing. Either you produce something that can be licensed, or you produce something where you use the license of others. And uh, Funko is right at the center of that in making the products that people are asking for while also trying to make things that are a little more unique. You know, three years ago, there weren't Golden Girls figures. No one could buy Golden Girls as an action figure, or a pop, or a doorb. You couldn't buy Golden Girls cereal. No, uh,
0: it still plays Bob my Ross, mind.
1: Same thing. No one was doing Bob Ross anything. No. But as soon as Funko put it out, the world went nuts and realized, oh, this is a cool thing that I really have to show off. This is, this is a passion of mine, something I grew up on that I love. And uh, we, we Funko really hones in on some of those unique properties, and I think that's the, the bread and butter of why it's been successful, are those that aren't necessarily as mainstream as people realize,
0: but yeah. they are. Yeah, it's crazy. Bob Ross stuff was mad, and I ended up buying loads of it myself, and I was like, well, why am I buying four different Funko Pops of a guy that's a painter, but I need them all? <laughs> and, and we thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I suppose it's very difficult to get much spare time because when you do get weekends off, they're usually spent at conventions because, like we said, it used to just be San Diego, but now there's New York, there's Chicago, there's Emerald. There's different cons all the time. But when it does come to that point, when you do actually get to go home and not be at work, how do you spend your time?
1: You know, it's interesting. I realised this while doing Nerd Food, that in order to live in a world where you have to Um, consume and produce in pop culture you have to keep a balance Uh, and it's not like this is a burden or something I feel like is homework but I do have to stay in the know on the latest movies the latest television shows music video games and those are my passions anyway so really all my waking time is spent doing those things like if I'm not at work I'm watching a movie a television show I'm catching up on my all my TV that I've got recorded. I'm playing the video game. You know, I, I love video games. And if it were up to me, I'd spend a lot more time doing that. But I just... Many of them require too much time. So I play a lot of Rocket League. Yeah. Uh, which I absolutely love. I can't get enough of it. And uh, I'm still a collector at heart of things that aren't necessarily just Funko. You know, I really love screen-printed posters. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time uh, stalking the people of Mondo and Grey Matter Art and Bottleneck Gallery to see what they've got. And, uh, and I... I just have a passion for other creators. Yeah. You know, I have a I have a motto that I started while doing Nerd Foo and it's nerds unite. It means a lot to me that uh, as part of this community of creators and consumers that I not only support my friends that are creating things but I consume and share the things that I have a passion for as well. So anytime I see an artist that I'm really into I love to share their stuff on my channels, my personal channels or Nerd Foo. Uh, Anytime I have a chance to interact with them, I I take that because uh, that whole that whole world just amazes me. There's so many amazing, talented people out there that I wanna I wanna get to know in some way, shape, or form.
0: You're literally talking like you're inside my head. I do the same. I'm always buying Mondo stuff. I'm already going every week. I'm checking bottleneck. I'm pre-ordering stuff, trying to be the first to get one of those rare prints, and Uh it it never stops. It's I haven't got enough room now. I've got literally posters in tubes with no frames because i just haven't got any more space
1: you know uh, there's so many passions that's just one of them but that's another thing that gives me an opportunity uh to connect with people on when people were walking around star wars celebration one guy had a a nice um palmer a jason palmer print that he was getting signed all the different star wars characters and i had met jason palmer years ago and i know his art so i mean this guy had a nice conversation about that and yet again, if I, I didn't spend my time in that world as well, I don't have that connection point with somebody that walks up. I I, I love those conversations that come from my other passions as well.
0: I love it, man. It's like you've probably seen on um, Twitter this Skip fan people that are all talking about the same stuff and they tag you in. I've seen you tagged in, but it's just the community like nothing else. If you go out drinking and there's the society that's out there, it always ends up in someone drinking too much or having a fight. No one will really mingle. Everyone's always you know a bit too headstrong but within the culture of pop culture you go to a con every person in that room is your friend you can have the shared passion and love for products if it's fun codes, if it's art if it's posters if it's t-shirts you can walk past someone and start a conversation and they instantly like become your friend and i don't know any other community in the world that's like it you know sport it's rivals versus each other but in community of pop culture everyone's friends
1: yeah, and it's, that positivity is something I feed off of as well. I, I, don't, I don't do negativity. I don't like it in the comments or online. I avoid it. I don't like that kind of stuff. I like to keep life positive. It's a message I try to spread as often as possible. And, yeah, cons, it's unlike anywhere else. Sure, there are times where people get a little irritated at something, but for the most part, the lines, I loved standing in line at San Diego Comic-Con, even if it was for nine hours, because inevitably you get settled into your spot You start talking to the people around you. And to this day, I'm still uh, friends with the people I met in line at SDCC in 2012. And when I go back to SDCC, I try to meet up with them for a few minutes. Just line buddies. That's the only way in life that we ever overlapped for those handful hours. And here we are friends. It's amazing.
0: There's nothing else like it. Like I said, it's it's unique. And the best thing about it is... In the UK, it's growing at a fast rate. You know, there's MCM Comic-Con, there's Showmasters. These are like your equivalent of your San Diego. They're not on the same scale, but they're the biggest that we've got for our country. And five years ago, there was two shows a year. Now there's ten for each brand, and it's just growing at such a rate. And it's... I remember being at school, and people would pick on the guy who had the comic, and now it's the cool guy that's got the comic. You know, I I love it. I love the positivity. I love the change. I I absolutely love it right now.
1: Yeah, I, I... That passion is just amazing. And, and we're in a, a, a world now where it's so easily accessible. Uh, that's why there are so many cons like this. Everybody doesn't have the money to travel around the world, so it's nice to be able to go to a local one. Uh, you know, that's how I, I started with San Diego, but then pretty much kept it next to home for all the ones I went to, and still would always meet amazing people on the on both sides, the ones running the booths or the ones just there. It was always fun.
0: If if and uh, you know it's a big if if funko tomorrow said that's it we're shutting the shop you know we're not doing it anymore we we just don't want to do it what would you do now
1: oh that's a that's a great question and god forbid it happen. please no don't let it happen um i don't know it would i would definitely be creating something i really think youtube is everything right now like Even when it comes to podcasts, having your podcast on YouTube is huge. Uh, Something that we started kind of flirting with 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 the funcast. We put just the audio up to give people another uh, avenue to listen. But I would do video. I would definitely do some more podcasts. I would love to do live game streaming. I kind of flirted with that a little bit uh, at the middle of last year before my schedule got too nuts and really enjoyed that. Uh, Just Again, just playing a game hanging out with people like-minded souls that want to have a conversation and have some fun that's always a blast so i would definitely be a, a creator again uh in whatever whatever avenue of life would accept me i uh, you know it just it's, it has to be fluid you know whatever whatever my passion is at the time whatever uh, whatever's big then
0: i love it man i love it all and the people that are listening right now, some of them are podcasters, I'm sure. What advice? Because you said you've given this to people in, you know, at conventions or at work. But what advice do you give for people that want to get into the community, that want to build a podcast and and go down the route that you went down?
1: I think more than anything else uh, is people talk all the time about I have I have a business idea, or I have an idea, or I have this concept, or I would like to try. Well, don't talk about it in theory. Pull the trigger. Just do it. I did that for years to myself, and I wish I had pulled the trigger and done other things. And that's why NerdFoo for me was such a launching point. It was my buddy and I talking about doing it. And I was like, we're not talking about it. We're going to do it. We're pulling the trigger. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Let's make this happen. And we started doing it. I didn't even want a podcast. That was his thing. He wanted to podcast. I was like, I don't like the sound of my own voice. I'm still not a fan,
2: but
1: <laughs> I love doing it. I enjoy doing it now. And that thanks to him, thanks to Steve, that I got led down that path. Uh, But you got to do it. You can't just talk about it. And that's what leads to things. Once you start creating and putting things out in the world, you realize how much work that takes. You realize what a passion it has to be. It makes you appreciate what others do even more so. And and sure, there's going to be people along the way that will tell you, don't do it. You can't do it. You shouldn't do it. Don't listen to them. Do your thing. There are people that have become famous or rich off the weirdest of weird things in this world. Why would your thing be any worse or better than theirs? Just do it, uh, and something will happen. Either you'll you'll be successful, you'll love doing it, maybe both, or maybe you figure out, this isn't for me, and you can turn it, and you can try something else that's similar to that. I mean, I, one of my favorite things in the world are those business uh, stories you hear about a business that started doing one thing, like Twitch, was originally not supposed to be a game streaming channel it was like everyday life video streaming and then somebody put video games on there and gave it a shot and look what it is now yeah that business is nowhere near what it started out to be and i, I just love those stories
0: isn't it ebay as well that he was doing it to sell his wife's thimble collection and get collectors on board to sell thimbles and the next thing you know it's now selling everything and a billion well, multi-billion pound corporation it's mad
2: isn't
1: that amazing? <laughs> yeah, watching Making Fun, the story of, of Funko. Mike Becker, the original founder, just wanted bobbleheads of Big Boy, something that no one else was really making accessible, and he turned that from that little one-item business into this uh, phenomenon that's swept the world.
0: It's amazing, man, and that they're the stories that will go far. And hopefully, you know, one of us will be, you know, successful, and we can turn around one day and say it just came from just wanting to do interviews or podcasting, and you know, you could hopefully be the next big thing.
1: I mean, we've already we've already checked the box, and we're doing it. Yeah. So it's happening one way or another. It's going somewhere.
0: And that's that's what I said. Someone asked me, you know, what's the best advice you give me to get into podcasts? And I said, well, just do it because you enjoy it. Don't look at the numbers. Don't look at how many people have commented and started slagging you off. Just enjoy it. Because if you enjoy it and you have fun, it won't actually ever seem like you're doing work. So if I have to do a skip to the end edit that can take me eight hours, it doesn't feel like eight hours work. Because I'm sitting there with this massive smile on my face, enjoying what we do. Adding what I can to it and making it something special, and that never feels like work or a chore
1: yeah and and a good story to go with that is it doesn't have to cost a lot of money to do any of these things these days. everything's accessible. You can make a YouTube video off your phone and upload it for nothing. You can record a podcast with a garage band mic I know my buddy my buddy actually started his podcast by cramming a garage band mic into an old beer box nice to to serve as a as an arm as a as a mic's holder. And he started his podcast with that. cost him no money at all. So you can do it. There's, There should be no hurdles.
0: Yeah, Skips the M was literally on an iPhone. The first 30 episodes were on an iPhone. Just three of us sat around a table. Insane. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, before I go, what I'd want to do is ask how people can check out your work. So obviously Nerdfoo and your own Funko podcast, I want you to plug it. And I know you're probably thinking, I don't want to, but I want you to. I want you to take the mic and tell people how they can check you out.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, for NerdFoo, everything is at the TheNerdFoo, T-H-E, NerdFoo, uh, where uh, the podcast is available on iTunes and Soundplay, or SoundCloud and Google Play and all those different channels where you listen to podcasts. Uh, me personally, I'm C.S. Sully on almost everything. Uh, you'll see my big orange cowboy hat that I sport proudly in all my images for those. <laughs> I and love then that hat. And for Funko, we are original Funko across all channels, And if you're searching for the podcast, it is The Funko Funcast, just like it sounds. Funko Funcast. You can find that pretty much anywhere. Uh, And if it's not in some place you want to listen to us, tell us and we'll make it happen.
0: Thank you, dude, for coming on the show.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. It really is truly an honor and I hope uh, hope people enjoy it. Uh, Feel free to follow and interact with me. Again, I love doing that, so I'd love to hear from people.
0: So there's my interview with me and Chris. What a great guy, so full of life and he's always the same. Whenever I speak to him about prizes or whatever I've got to do, if it's business or just actual pleasure, he's honestly the same guy all the time. He's so fun, you could never be miserable around him and I absolutely love the guy. So a huge thanks to Chris for coming on the podcast and sharing those stories and talking all about his background and his life and how he's got to the position that he's in now and honestly... Please follow him on Twitter, go on my site, I'll put the links up there for you. He's a great guy, so interactive online. I love his videos he does on Funko, they're amazing when they're doing all the unboxing. It always makes me jealous and want to buy more Funko Pops, which I've told myself I shouldn't. But yeah, he's a very close friend and you can probably tell I've got a lot of time for him and a lot of respect. As you know now, I want to always plug the podcast. So on markandme.com, you get links there to listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, Stitcher, all the usual platforms. But also on there is my social media. There's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email. All of those I check every single day throughout the day. I respond to every single message. If you've ever messaged me and never got a reply, let me know because I can guarantee that won't be the case. I always listen and take all feedback on board and it's why I do the podcast. The actual reviews I got for the Dave interview last week was amazing. If you enjoyed it, let me know. I'll retweet you. I'll put it out on social media. It's the whole reason that I sit here with a microphone every week doing this podcast, for the fan interaction and for the listeners' responses. Honestly, it means that much to me. If you love the podcast, you can get involved on the Patreon page. I don't plug it too much. I'm not just kind of sitting here, having adverts all the way through the podcast. But if you notice, I don't have any adverts on the podcast. I'm a one-man team. I produce the podcast, I edit the podcast, I go out and do the recordings. I run all the social media. I don't have a team of people and obviously there are costs involved as well when you're hosting the podcast for people to download. But I make it worth your while. The prizes I get on there I think are very unique. I get signed figures, I get vinyls, I get really exclusive prizes just for the Patreon people. So if you're a huge fan of the podcast, or even if you're not a big fan but you just want to say thank you, go on the link, you can subscribe on there for as little as sort of 70p a month, which is fuck all. And I don't normally swear on these podcasts, but that's how little it is. It's actually fuck all. And for that you're going to get a merch thing, you get stickers at the start, you're going to get loads of stuff. But also you're going to get the chance to win prizes. And all the money that comes in goes straight back into the podcast. So if you've enjoyed today, hop on there, show some support. And honestly, it goes a long, long way. Thanks again to Chris for coming on today's episode. We're going to be back again in a week's time. They're absolutely flying out at the moment, these interviews. Literally, I blink and there's another one ready to edit. There's going to be about another 11 to do, I think, at the moment. So you've got the next three months covered of weekly podcasts. So it's a good investment on Patreon. But if you don't want to support me, the podcast will always remain free. And I want to say thanks to everyone for the support. And I'll be back in a week's time.